On this NFL Divisional Recap edition of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and myself, Russ Heltman, dive into all things NFC and AFC Divisional Rounds. Buffalo versus Baltimore, Chiefs versus Browns, and then we got the Rams, Packers, and the Saints and Buccaneers. Bumbles, MVPs, Drew B's retirements, Tom Brady's still the GOAT. We get into all that and more, plus the young quarterback battles, some big mistakes made in the coaching decisions throughout the weekend. Patrick Fetch, Russ Heltman, we touch on all of it in this Monday edition of Riding 3x3. You can catch us on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, throw us five stars, and keep supporting the Riding 3x3 movement. Let's get into lane number one. Cruising into lane number one on this very special NFL Divisional Weekend Recap Edition of Riding a 3x3. I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined, as always, across the line by my co-host, Patrick Fetch. Pat, we had a, uh, a very hyped-up weekend, a lot of very intriguing matchups across the NFC and AFC doubleheader slates. Um, wasn't necessarily, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a full-on thud in terms of the impact from these games, but not necessarily the cleanest of play. And uh, we got some injuries to some big names throughout the weekend, but it ended up being a pretty enjoyable uh, slate of football. What did you think of it? I mean, it was fantastic matchups across the board. Like you said, the names in this game are great. The matchups on the coaching sides were great. But yeah, not a lot of instant classic, not a lot of fourth quarter drive. I was thinking we were going to get that with the very last game. I was like, hey, been a boring first half, but it might be the first really good second half we're getting. Still a little bit disappointed, but yeah, nonetheless, I mean, it's playoff football it's the best of the best out there you got to enjoy it somehow oh yeah you're not oh, living yeah. if you're not we didn't get any huge blowouts so that was good there was there was prospects of that maybe with uh with old man breeze struggling down there at the end as he uh gets in to uh the early stages of what seems to be his retirement but we'll get to that we'll send off drew breeze the way a hall of famer should be sent off and we'll do all that right now getting into lane number one tossing it over to pat he's going to take care of the saturday slate in lane one I'll take care of the Sunday slate in lane two. Mr. Fetch, what do you have for us? Yeah, let's start with the first one. Chronological order, as they say. Rams and Packers in Lambeau. I thought this game, this game was weird, Russ. I had a bunch of people I was talking to about this game. I thought, we talked about it on the pod, I thought Ramsey and Aaron Donald and the playmakers that the Rams had would be able to stifle some of what the Packers could do offensively. But ultimately, the big story in this game was just that Aaron Donald was not 100%. And mm-hmm. even, I thought, I was pretty impressed with the way that the Rams' offense kind of functioned. Jared Goff didn't play horrible, even with his hand. He was still able to make some bit of a difference out there. Not having Cooper Cup was a massive, massive loss, too, for the Rams, ultimately, at game time. Because what he can do, especially after the catch, especially when you're limited at the quarterback position and where his range might be on the day, it is tough, tough, tough business when you don't have someone like Cooper Cup who can take those short little flat passes and do something with them. So, uh... This game disappointed a little. We didn't get as much matchup as we wish, but do credit the Rams for, I think, playing playing the Packers really well. So, 32-18 final score. This was kind of just the old Aaron Rodgers. We're gonna we're gonna give you give you the the short passes. Not gonna give you anything over the top. We're gonna make you be patient. Make you be that surgeon that he has uh, so aptly performed uh, well as over the past almost what almost we're going on 15 years now so Rodgers in this game MVPS performance 23 of 36 uber efficient 296 yards and two touchdowns uh, and I believe 
Uh, he now ties Joe Montana for the most performances in NFL playoff history with 250 plus yards through the air and two plus touchdowns. It was um, it was just clinical. Second time an Aaron Rodgers led team has scored over 30 in the playoffs against a number one scoring defense. Only uh, only other quarterback to do that multiple times um, is Roger Staubach. So this was a just kind of magnum opus for the year that Aaron Rodgers has had, the kind of confidence that he has instilled into the into this wide receiver core when you look at what Alan Lazard did, catching the deep ball and um, making the Brams pay for creeping those safeties up inch by inch, little by little throughout the game. And finally, with the score kind of hanging in the balance, they were only up seven at this point. Aaron Rodgers didn't let that phase him. He's Mr. Cool, Mr. Collected, R-E-L-A-X, and he hits his uh, his young third-year receiving option in Alan Lazard for the big score. But, Pat, like, this was kind of the the culmination of Brian Gutekunst and the rest of that front office saying, we told you so. We knew what we had all along. We knew Aaron Rodgers could tap into that MVP form. He did exactly that in this game. And you, you, uh, you led with it perfectly there. Aaron Donald just was not a factor. The Terminator was terminated by the rib cartilage injury that hampered him throughout the week and ultimately kept him off the field for right around half the snaps when uh, usual workload for Aaron Donald's uh, closer to three-quarters or 80% of the snaps in a ball game. So hats off to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers hosting the NFC Championship game for the first time uh, as the head man for the Packers franchise as one Aaron Rodgers. And Pat, he's trying to get off the schneid. Lost three straight um, NFC title games. He's trying to get back to the uh, Super Bowl and kind of book in his career a little bit with a victory in his first NFC title game. And probably not his, I don't, I wouldn't, I'm not going to sit on here in this pod and say it's his last NFC title game, but a victory in one of these is going to be even more sweet because the clock, it's going to, it's, it's ticking down a little bit for Aaron Rodgers as we saw it tick down for Drew Brees. And it's weird because like, I feel like thinking back at Aaron Rodgers career, he's just been so dominant for so long and, it is almost criminal how many, you know, the lack of big games and the lack of marquee matchups he's gotten to play deep in the year. And uh, credit to it. I can definitely, while you say that, Russ, I can definitely see a late career run of sorts for A-Raj going to a few Super Bowl or something, maybe Brady-esque in that NFC. Yeah, but I mean, uh, he's going to have Matt LaFleur for the ne- the back half of the back stretch of his career, and he's only, what, 36, 37, so... Drew Brees kept it rolling until 42, and he's he's the, he in TB12. If he adopts the TB12, Pat, he could be going for another decade. <laughs> exactly, and he doesn't. He's definitely not showing uh, a lot of signs of slowing down either. So yes. I'm, not, I'm not sure fans of Aaron Rodgers are too concerned about uh, his, I guess, soon soon future. But um, anyway, I mean, I'm not sure much more to say about that. Like you said Aaron Rodgers is is the Terminator. You know, he's the one who took the crown this way. He is just heartless cold, calculated, and uh, quite the cerebral quarterback to watch play. It's a, it's going to be very exciting to watch him go against Tom Brady. I'm sure we'll talk about this matchup, especially later in the week. But uh, mm-hmm. it's exciting. I, I am excited to see Aaron Rodgers and what he's going to do in this NFC Championship game. 18 points allowed at home for this Green Bay defense, Pat. We, we've kind of seen it hit the peak a little bit and, and see the full level of what this unit can be in their win against the Tennessee Titans, the blowout um, a couple weeks ago to close out uh, the back half of the regular season for Green Bay. And just the Smith brothers, they're starting to round into form a little bit. Jair Alexander 
he has not talked about enough as probably the best shutdown corner in the NFL overall right now. If we're just talking about pure statistics allowed, the guy shuts down number one wide receivers week in and week out. So I, I think coming out for this game, Pat, and kind of wrapping this one up to handle a Rams team that, like I mentioned, number one scoring off scoring defense in the NFL and just got their, their first year defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley hired as the next young mastermind in the league as the head coach of the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, the way that they handled this game never really made it a question as to who was going to control this uh, contest and make their and punch their ticket to the NFC title. It just goes to show that I think right now the Green Bay Packers are the most balanced football team in the NFL, and they're probably the team playing their best football currently heading into championship weekend. Interesting you say that, Russ, because I think there's probably one other team in the National Football League that's very interested in that conversation. Mm. And uh, we could probably move along to that team who circled the wagons. And this was the matchup of the weekend for me. I thought this one was going to produce the most drama, just the most uh, um, intrigue. And I, I think that could be argued. But let's move along into Western New York, Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills. They do it. They win the playoff game, 17-3. They're going to the AFC Championship game over Lamar. And uh, this was just a great game all around. This was a sloppy game on both sides for a lot of it. There was definitely a lot of nerves, a lot of juice happening in this game, and a lot of wind, apparently, happening as well. Two Justin but, uh, Tucker misses, Pat. It's, it's just unheard of. Unheard of. Two Justin Tucker misses within 50 yards. Too. Both off the both doinked off the upright. Double doinked, <laughs> unbelievable. That was that was shocking. I don't know if anybody was more shocked than Justin Tucker too uh, at the sight of it. But I mean, the, the, what came down to this game for the Ravens was that pick six. And what sucks is you know obviously Lamar gets hurt a little bit later, but that changed the complexion of this game so much. And uh, man, like what a play! That it, it's just. That is, that's a play that lives forever. That's a play that will haunt Ravens fans forever. It's a play that will haunt Lamar forever until he's able to get back in the situation and win again. But, like, it's not like the Ravens played that awful. They sort of played within the feel of the game. But uh, I do have a lot of questions for their play calling. It seems like J.K. Dominance was going to be able to run the ball up the middle all game. And it seems like they just decided to abandon that very, very early in the first half. Um, there was just so much inconsistency on that offense throughout the whole game, though, and it really felt like all it take was somebody to just break this game loose. Like it wasn't going to be a, a 80-yard drive, scripted drive. It wasn't going to be anything other than just a fluke, crazy play that decided this game. And ultimately, I guess that's kind of what it was—a 101-yard touchdown interception return for a touchdown that breaks it. But I think you know this was just one of those sloppy games, one of those AFC just nasty aggressive games, especially between young teams, where the nerves were going to break somebody and that great play was going to happen somewhere, and, and it did. And it did for uh, for Tarion, is it Taron? Taron Johnson? Taron Johnson, yeah. Taron Johnson, the 101-yarder. Incredible. Incredible stuff, Pat. 17-3 victory for the Buffalo Bills. Circling the wagons, so happy for that fan base, getting back to the AFC title game. For uh, first time in over a quarter century, Justin Tucker misses field goals. We got Lamar Jackson looking like uh, pedestrian Lamar in the passing game, and that was the big issue here, Pat. Two plays, two huge plays flipped this entire game on its head. First off, and you mentioned the Taron Johnson uh, interception, 
But the one for me right before that, Pat, was the entire ball game and the entire Lamar Jackson experience thus far in a nutshell, where he gets so close. He gets the team so far. He's so consistent. He's so like Giannis Antetokounmpo in this sense, where he just needs that one extra facet, that one extra key to his game to be able to get to that ultimate goal of um, of Super Bowl championship success. And he couldn't hit the quick pass to Marquise Brown on second and goal from the Buffalo nine-yard line. Just barely overthrew his uh, only real true receiving option on the night. And then the next play, the very next play, he zone coverage, uh, Buffalo playing um, – just not really respecting any of the receivers all night off the line of scrimmage, playing zone, not pressing anybody. Taron Johnson uh, playing Willie Sneed in the slot. Their number two receiver. Yes, people. Willie Sneed on a championship caliber team is their number two receiver. Uh, he was not respected by Taron Johnson. Taron Johnson had his eyes on Lamar Jackson the entire time, and he picked that ball off and had the wherewithal, the wherewithal, Pat. And this is the biggest thing for me, and while I'm going to be highlighting Taron Johnson a little bit more when we close out the show in lane number three, to take that ball all the way to the freaking house. Not just kneel it, but to take it to the house in that type of moment, that type of path to the end zone, in a game where... It was a it was a slog, like you mentioned. It was an AFC playoff cold battle type of defensive slog that was going to be decided by one play, one key action. And Taron Johnson was just that for the Buffalo Bills. And when I look at this this Baltimore Ravens team, focusing on them before we praise Buffalo Bill a little bit, is Greg Roman and this offensive system has to get more dynamic. The route combinations have to get more complex. The talent has to get depth has to get more uh, more fleshed out in terms of the depth on this team. Yeah, Marquise Brown's a nice guy, but I was saying on uh, on 106.5 The Ticket on Sunday morning, he is not an ex-wide receiver. He's not a guy that you can send to the front of the line and have a Jalen Ramsey or a Jair Alexander be able to press him, and he can fight through those types of battles. He's not. He's a, he's a, uh, y, or a Z deep threat type of guy that you can put on the opposite side of a true strong possession receiver, and that has to be offseason goal number one. Allen Robinson, step right up to the Baltimore Ravens front office coffers because I think they're going to be ready to throw the house at a guy like that, Pat. Some type of true big-time possession receiver could do wonders for this offense. I agree. I agree. And I do wonder whether it's you know some combination of Lamar just not giving his guys enough chances and him just sort of playing favorites. I mean, I think that's exactly what it was on that pick six was, you you, you know, Taron Johnson basically had to decide, am I going to jump Willie Sneed's, now, uh, Willie Sneed's route or am I going to jump Mark Andrews' route? And you know who... Lamar Jackson's favorite target is, and it seems like there's uh, there's definitely more opportunity for him to involve some receivers, but there's also equal probably uh, blame to be put on the scripting and everything that they do to help him. But I mean that too. I mean the Bills' defense played fantastic, and what you said is them just not respecting certain receivers. And I think that's a little bit Lamar does to himself is that teams can sort of prioritize and play either towards his targets or towards his running ability and get ultra aggressive. And I watch it with the Steelers who seem to play Lamar extremely aggressively where he's always sort of making a play right off the cusp. And that's what the Bills made him do this game. Just every every play was so hyper aggressive, hyper focused that Lamar had to be perfect in a lot of areas. And when the drives, when they were running, they do what they do best. They just put their head down, get downhill. Teams cannot keep up with the athleticism of them. But when they start to play, you know, they start having to play football and spread out and read these progressions and read these defenses. And that's when this aggressiveness becomes just a lot. And you see teams who have done it year over year against Lamar, 
put a bunch of athletes on the field on defense and blitz from all the you know from the secondary blitz from your safety blitz these athletic linebackers and he doesn't handle it well and there's usually a make or break play that happens okay he does handle it well at times but there's always a make or break play and whether that defense can make it or not is the main key they did in this game the one turnover that he had is the pick six and it's just huge huge you can't give enough credit to, to the Bills' defense, though, for being ready for the challenge that is Lamar and, and coming in and facing that challenge head-on. They knew the keys they were looking for. They knew the difference they had to make, the aggressiveness they had to play for to match that play style, and they did it flawlessly. I was extremely impressed with the Bills' defense. They still gave up a lot of yards, but obviously, Ben don't break. When it counts, they, they played incredible. So, mm-hmm. you know, hats off to the Bills' defense. And uh, to that aggressiveness, Pat, you and I were talking on the, uh, on the keys kind of game plan uh, avenue or lane lane number three last Thursday show where I brought up bringing up those safeties getting aggressive at the line of scrimmage and stuffing that box up box up with those uh, those guys in, in Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer that's exactly what Sean McDermott in this defense did 48 percent of Lamar Jackson's dropbacks the Bills sent pressure and uh, they got they got overall pressure on 40% of those dropbacks. So whenever they sent extra blitzers, they were usually getting home. And that was a big reason why Lamar Jackson, until he's able to add that quick diagnostic, quick passing game facet to his um, to his weaponry, to his arsenal, uh, he's going to struggle in these late types of uh, postseason games. But he's only what 22, 23. I'm not ready to. Like he won, it was this was a successful year for the Ravens. This was a successful postseason for the for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. They got that uh, comeback victory. They got that postseason win off their back, and now they can try to tighten up some of the edges, get some more in, get some more ingenuity baked into this offense, and uh, maybe not have Des Bryant as their uh, as their possession receiver next year. Maybe we can get yeah, somebody I other mean- than Willie Sneed and Des Bryant out there. That would be that would be good. I'm not worried about Lamar Jackson whatsoever. Yeah, you see, he's no, only 24. No, I wasn't saying you are, but like some of these, I'm, I've been hearing whispers. Some of these people saying, "Oh, well, this just shows uh, it's this is a fatal flaw." The Ravens fans got to really think if they want this guy long forward going forward. Are they going to offer him the extension that he's wor- that he's due for this offseason? It's insanity. It's insanity. And speaking of guys that are going to be getting extensions this offseason, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Pat, got to give them their props here. They've won two playoff games without really playing well at all. Like, they have not played a true Buffalo Bills type of offensive game just yet. Josh Allen in this contest, um, ho-hum, 37 attempts, 206 yards, one touchdown. I believe I saw they went um, 17 of 18 passes. This, or excuse me, this is from Mike Sando. 17 of 18 plays in the first 28 minutes of the game, so non-garbage time. Basically, when a football team controls fully controls their own destiny, the Bills just chose to uh, throw out the run game. No Zach Moss here, only had Devin Singletary. So Brian Dable decided to utilize his biggest uh, uh, offensive asset and offensive skill set in Devin Singletary by making him a pass-catching back, and that's exactly what they did. They kind of just morphed the pass or the running game into a short, quick passing game type of thing. And they were able to move the ball at some points. They got the one big drive they needed. And that was all uh, all she wrote for the Baltimore Ravens. Another amazing game for Stephon Diggs, Pat. Eight catches, 106 yards, and one touchdown. This Buffalo Bills team is the format and the formula for any burgeoning, up-and-coming franchise down on their luck but has solved the young quarterback issue and is ready to start winning if they can add some pieces. 
both of these teams solved the quarterback issue, and this is the difference in this game. And like you said, the Bills didn't necessarily play good. And as a quarterback, you you either had to do two things. You either have to win the game or not lose the game, right? I mean, at the end of the day, Lamar lost this game for the Ravens because of that one catastrophic mistake, and Josh Allen avoided making that one catastrophic mistake. You know, if Lamar's, uh, if that, if he does throw that pick and throws a touchdown right there it's a tie game you know their stat lines are exactly the same and so it is crazy it is it is crazy you know how one play will change the perception of the game of the season of how the team feels and no I mean I see these two quarterbacks as exactly the same two young quarterbacks who aren't quite 100% polished but could win any game for you at any given time and both of them have gotten much better at not losing games and that's what's been so impressive about Josh Allen I think is what you know people don't say it like this but Really, he's avoided all those catastrophic mistakes that lose games for teams. He no longer is in that position where he becomes such a you know a net positive. And it's it was impressive again in a game like this where the Bills aren't flowing so well. The wind is there. Maybe miss a few passes, but still have that mental fortitude, that mental toughness to just keep the road, keep the path straight, not overthink the game, not make it overly complicated, and just lead your team in a composed you know composed way and I think that's exactly what Josh Allen did I think that's what Lamar wasn't able to do quite as well and that's why the Bills are moving on but I mean like you said I think it's a lot of credit to the coaching staff too uh, of the Bills just keeping getting this team ultra focused having this team completely you know completely on the same page and uh, it is quite the sight to see it I mean I wish they could play the next game in Buffalo truly oh yeah oh yeah I got the uh, 6700 Bills Mafia strong there in Orchard Park. That was great to see. And it was 16 times in their first 17 plays, Pat, according to Mike Sando, that Brian Dable trusted his young quarterback to throw the ball in the first half. So they leaned on Josh Allen, just like he said. They know what their strengths are, and they're playing into them. And to that point, when you think about 17-3, to they obviously had a great defensive game plan that was permeated throughout the locker room. Uh, all week by uh, defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. And to me, it just it just shows that this is a truly a true championship team. They can beat you in so many different ways. This was a defense that was solid this season, 12th overall in defensive DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. But they weren't that top five jailbreak, shut you down on the outside with Tredavious White type of smacky-in-the-mouth defense that we all expected would lead this team to success this year and not the flip side of having Josh Allen and the offense be that catalyst. So if they can play like this completely as a unit while putting on their best showcase as a complete team, especially on offense, then, yeah, they're going to be right there. Uh, And they're going to be a very difficult out for the Kansas City Chiefs who uh, will be – Remiss to have the services of one Patrick Mahomes as we get into that right now. Let's just go ahead and shift from the 17-3 Buffalo Bills victory over the Baltimore Ravens. They punch their ticket to Kansas City for the AFC title game as the Chiefs take out the Cleveland Browns 22-17. Very tight, very back-and-forth contest. It felt as though Kansas City might bust this thing open down uh, or up 19-3 going into the waning moments of the first half, but not to be the Browns give up a fumble at the goal line to close the first half. Baker Mayfield throws a 25-yard pass to Rashard Higgins, who gets tackled helmet-to-helmet, I might add, spearing by Daniel Sorensen. They don't call it. 
He ensuingly fumbles the ball on the two-yard line into the end zone. It goes out of bounds. We know what that means. Touchback for the Kansas City Chiefs. Their offense takes over, and it's basically what amounted to be a 10-point swing, Pat, because Patrick Mahomes led the offense down the field for a Harrison Bucker field goal on a nine-play 70-yard drive on the ensuing possession. And at that point, you're down 19-3 going in the half and completely deflated. They made a comeback out of it after Patrick Mahomes had the quote-unquote concussion whiplash type of injury. We're still very murky on what actually happened to Mahomes to knock him out and bring Chad Henney in. But Chiefs win it 22-17. The Browns fumble at the goal line, and Chad Henney hits a sprint out little, uh, little option pattern to Tyreek Hill on fourth and one with the game on the line. Andy Reid, he's, uh, he's already got that Super Bowl in his back pocket. He's playing with house money now, Pat, and the house won big on Sunday afternoon. Credit to the Browns, though. I mean, like you said, I, we need to dive into that play before the half because I'd love to hear your opinion on it. But what a tragic just change of events that that was, Ugh. a change of momentum. Absolutely disgusting as a fan to watch. It was just turning into such a great game. And for that to happen, I really felt like the Chiefs, yeah, they were going to break it open, win the game by 30. And credit to the Browns, who came back. And obviously, uh, I guess a little bit of luck, you know, a little bit of sports luck with the injury of Patrick Mahomes, even though I'm sure that's not something that they, they even wanted to uh, to be part of the game plan. But for Stefanski to keep this team believing, to keep this team alive, and for them to respond like they did in the second half and come back and still be in a position to win this game, all the credit in the world for the Browns. I mean, I think you just have to be so happy and so satisfied with the way this year ended for you. And so, you know, maybe cautiously optimistic because of your past, but still extremely optimistic going forward. And, um, I mean, this game, with that being said, you know, the Chiefs were, what, 10-point favorites in this game, didn't cover, kind of got sloppy near the end. But I was unbelievably impressed with the Chiefs in this game. I think everything about this uh, everything about this game shows why the Chiefs ultimately should still be favored to win to win the Super Bowl. Le- Patrick Mahomes was fabulous in this game uh, when he was still healthy. 21 for 30 for 255, one touchdown. You know, really not much more than a half of football. He ran for the for the touchdown on a your little speed option that they love to pull out on the goal line. He looked incredible in this game when he was in there. And uh, really the only negative part of their offense especially was the Le'Veon Bell. I mean, I guess it's just incredible, the uh, massive, massive downturn in performance from Le'Veon Bell. For him not to be one of the major focal points in this game was very shocking to me, especially after Patrick Mahomes goes out. But I guess it just proves where he's at. But I was extremely impressed with the Chiefs and how they played. Equally as pressed with the Browns. This was definitely the best game of the weekend for me, Russ. But I'd love to dive back into the, to the fumble out of the end zone. And, and do you like the rule? Is that something? Do you want to see that keep around? Is that just, I mean, as a I like as it. a fan of just as a fan of just the game, that was just heart wrenching in that moment. I like it. You know what? You know what they do in New England, Pat? They teach their players not to put the ball and reach out over the goal line in that instance. And there's an exact reason why they teach them not to do that because that could happen. So to me, the way the defensive rule changes have gone, the way the sport is changing so heavily in favor of the offense. I'm with Dominique Foxwork on this one. Keep it for the defense. It's a fun little wrinkle. But ultimately, it shouldn't have even mattered, Pat, because Daniel Sorensen should have been flagged for 15 yards, automatic first down, ball placed at the one-yard line 
for spearing. Like that was a total helmet to helmet, um, just unsportsmanlike conduct hit that they need to change that rule in the offseason, Pat. They need to change if there's a rule broken in the middle of a play and you're not reviewing for that rule, then you can still change the result of the play if you see that rule being broken. Because like if, if something goes wrong and like there is something that can be changed, it should be changed. Not just, oh, we, we the rules say we can't change it because uh, we, we, uh, we have it as some arbitrary uh, article in this, this rule book. That's that's stupid me, stupid me. But to me, like yeah, that game that that hurt him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty two seventeen, game on the line. You have Baker Mayfield. You have the ball. Offense in control. Fourth quarter, and you punt seven plays. Or excuse me, yeah, you punt seven plays, twelve yards, three minutes fifty one seconds off the clock. You punt. This is what they went with, Pat, on the final three plays of their offensive season. Nick Chubb to the right side for negative one yards. Baker Mayfield screen incomplete. Baker Mayfield screen pass again to Kareem Hunt for two yards. All while they needed, this was on third and 11, he throws a screen pass to Kareem Hunt for two yards. And then on fourth and nine, they punt in a situation where like, I don't care if they have Chad Henney. I don't care. You are the underdog. You're the 10 point dog. No one expects you to win this game. Go out there like Andy Reid did, and uh, and and lay, lay on your sword. Die on your die with your best players. Don't j- die with Jamie Gillen and your hampered defense going up against the Kansas City Chiefs offense. That at that point, all they needed was two first downs, and the game was over. They got exactly that based off of uh, some some ballsy play calling from Andy Reid, and that was that. But to me, if you're Kevin Stefanski, that's a big learning moment and something I think he will take with him and carry on with him throughout the rest of his coaching days is the fact that you lay down and you die with your best players. You don't go out there and punt the ball like that on the road to the Kansas City Chiefs and the weapons remaining on that offense, despite not having Patrick Mahomes. They still got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey out there. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, Russ, but you know, I felt it in the moment as well. I think the, you know, especially with the score being five, you know, my kind of idea was it is why give the Chiefs more field to burn more clock, you know? Like, put them in a situation where they're either going for a touchdown or settling for a field goal, to which, yeah, you still get the ball back, and then you control your destiny again in some sense. So Yeah, exactly. Like, if they don't get it on the fourth down, Pat, they could still— I'm like they had just intercepted Chad Henney in the end zone a couple drives earlier. So he, it wasn't feeling like Chad Henney was going to lead them to a red zone scoring touchdown drive. So at worst you're thinking, all right, we'll be down 25, 17 and still get the ball back with some time left to go back and, and, and get eight points uh, with the next drive. But like, if you punt the ball back, you're, you're exactly right, right there. They get even more space on the field and more time to work with, to be able to bleed the game away. And, I wish I could have the stats or, you know, the database that would let me know how many times the Pittsburgh Steelers punted the ball back to the other team in the fourth quarter when they were down. And then, the you know, Steelers defense got the ball back subsequently and Big Ben went down the field and won the game for him. You know, so like belief comes in your team in many forms and you're allowed to also put your defense on the field and believe in them, too. You know, not only you can still feel the sense of we control this game, right? Like we just can't allow them to run, you know, to run the ball down our throats for a few times. Like, you should believe in your guys to be able to handle that. 
The unfortunate thing for Stephen, for Kevin Stefanski was Andy Reid was the coach standing on the opposing <laughs> sideline, and Andy Reid is the you know the best coach in all football potentially. He's an offensive genius, and you know that he trusts in his guys and their ability to get open. Not only do they have Andy Reid, they have Tyreek Hill, who I mean, there's not a single animal on planet Earth that could guard him in a five yard like quick twitch space. So you know, good luck with that. He'll get open against a cheetah. So. Unfortunately for for Kevin Stefanski, it, you know he, it looks like a terrible terrible decision. But you know I think it's something that as we you know evolve as football football fans and coaches and everything soon that it will be you know more time than not the opposite decision will be made where we'll see coaches go for it on that fourth down and it will almost be breaking the trend to trust your defense. But I, I I still I don't hate it right the back of quarterbacks in the game you have to believe in your defense maybe you play some field position and you get a three and out punt the ball down and you just gain ten yards in a little bit but given that they only had one timeout given that they had that three point three point cushion that they could still go down score a touchdown and tie the game it, it was a tough decision man but I I don't want to I don't want to crush him too much for believing in his defense because again as a Steelers fan I've seen it. I've seen it pay time and time again to trust in the defense. So, um, I mean, tough, tough situation. The for defense was given up seven yards per play. Like they were given up eight three per attempt with Chad Handy in there. I don't know. Like I, I know, and yeah, Kevin Stefanski. Like all this being said, Kevin Stefanski, amazing job. He was my coach of the year. But I think he just got a little bit of young dumb coach face a little bit there in these big moments. It was almost like uh, he needed to go through the young dumb dumb coach phases when they had the big lead against the Steelers last weekend, but he was uh, unfortunately having to live it out in his basement. Real quick, last thing on the Browns in this game, Pat, and then we'll kind of look ahead with the Chiefs here. 13 attempts on the ground for Nick Chubb, 6 attempts for Kareem Hunt. They ran for 112 yards as a team. 5.3 yards per attempt from both of their bell cow backs. Can you explain to me why they did not lean on the running game, their biggest strength throughout the season? Pat, they were second in cook index for Mike Sando of the Athletic this week. In uh, those game-neutral situations, like I mentioned with the uh, Buffalo Bills stat, they were right behind Buffalo this week in that category. They ran on just 5 of 17 game-neutral snaps in the first half, in the first 28 minutes uh, good for a 70% cook index. I don't think that's the game plan you should go with, especially when your team has been leaning into the rushing attack all year long. You're right. You're right. And maybe it was a little bit of young, dumb coach from Stefanski. Maybe it was a little bit of him trying to outsmart himself and break trends in such a crucial game. You know, so I'm not sure what it was, but you're right. And, it, and when you fall down early, too, I'm sure it was hard for a young coach for him to just continually to believe in the run, thinking that he has to play this comeback. But that being said, I mean, Baker didn't play that terrible. That was one bad interception, but the one no, interception he, was good. he did throw. I thought he was the second-best yeah, I mean, quarterback of the weekend, honestly. In the, in the one interception he did throw, I mean, Jarvis Landry, flat-footed on a scramble drill, did not help his quarterback out whatsoever, sort of let Tyron Matthew just telegraph the entire situation. And so, yeah, I think Baker played well, and so – yeah. It is tough because you just wish that they had a, a like a truer opportunity at a comeback drive that Stefanski ultimately just never got ball back with a chance to. And Andy Reid, cold calculated killer, he's an offensive genius, and doesn't really matter who's on the field for him, he's gonna find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think what we can kind of take away here from the Browns is they have their foundation, they have their head coach, they have their oh, yeah. GM, they have their quarterback, they have their identity, they have every box checked 
for an NFL team that's a contender in today's league except for that championship ticket or that Lombardi Trophy ticket. So we'll see how they try to tighten up the mess, the uh, the margins here over the next few months heading into the 2021 season. And, you know, just kind of look in the mirror a little bit and adjust going accordingly from this game plan. Like, I get it. You want us, you want Baker Mayfield to be able to win this game and have that confidence. But I, I just, I, do, I did not understand getting away from what's worked so well for this offense. And on top of that, if, if they would have maybe run the ball a little bit more, could have cut down on a Kansas City defense that blitzed Mayfield on half of his dropbacks, kept him under fire throughout the day. Moving into the Sunday afternoon slate, we had the pair or, or a pair of, what was it, 25-year-old quarterbacks throwing it back to their 2016 Oklahoma-Texas Tech shootout in the early portion of the uh, of the Sunday window. And then in the NFC, we had the old men. Uh, should have been should have had an alternate broadcast on the History Channel, Pat. I'm surprised they didn't <laughs> didn't whip that one together in the uh, uh, the few days after they figured out that it would be the Buccaneers versus the Saints in the NFC title game. A victory for who else? The goat, Tom Brady gets uh, gets one over on Drew Brees, who throughout their careers had the number of uh, the greatest quarterback of all time, but not today. As Tom Brady, thirty. 20 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the New Orleans Saints. The big storyline out of this one, Pat, was the announcement before the game from Dre Glazer saying that Drew Brees uh, headed towards retirement this offseason, and it felt like the football gods just kind of booted him off the ship with that news. 19 of 34, 134 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. The Saints lost the turnover battle 4 nothing in a game where they kind of controlled throughout, but those costly mistakes and the inability to complete a pass downfield destroyed any hopes they had of uh, punching their ticket to Lambeau Field next week. Pat, Drew Brees had one completion past 15 yards in this game, and the Saints only had two. That one by Drew Brees and the deep ball by Jameis Winston on the trick play to uh, get them uh, their only big deep touchdown of the day. You have to be able to create explosive plays in today's NFL postseason, and Drew Brees and the Saints offense haven't been able to do that for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, let's just say it how it was, Russ. Drew Brees was flat-out terrible in this game. and um, First time with just, uh, three interceptions since 2016. Pretty bad. He just, he just posed no threat to the defense whatsoever. Not only was it the picks, but, I mean, like you said, he could not push the ball downfield. 19 for 34 for 134 yards. Uh, what's the average on that one, Ross? I mean, gross. Yeah, it's about 3.9 yards per attempt. Yeah, he averaged 3.9 air yards per attempt, too. So it was just, he wasn't throwing it, he wasn't completing them passes, and he wasn't throwing the passes deep that he was completing. Like, I don't want to be, like, too mean or anything, but, I mean, just see, he seems like someone who just, he played one year too long. And we saw it with Peyton Manning. He played one year too long. And we could say the same thing about Peyton his last year. But, like, Drew just looked frail out there. He looked skinny. He looked small. He looked like he wasn't ready to take hits. He looks like he wasn't prepared to be mobile. He looked like he wasn't prepared to play football. Like, he had to be in an absolute perfect play. You know, he could find a wide-open guy if he was there. But when you can just rush three, drop back anybody you want, sit underneath and make it, you know, just let him throw, you know, little dink and dunks all game. I mean, it was just didn't pose any threat. I don't know how the Saints were so good this year with him behind center for as much as he was. You know, I guess he had moments and everything, but... 
it's been weeks that he wasn't, you know, it's been years that he hasn't been extending the ball downfield very well, or if he was extending the ball downfield early in the season, you saw a sharp decline late in the season. So, I mean, the difference between Tom Brady at his age and Drew Brees at his age was apparent, and uh, it, it just ultimately took the Saints back. They, did, they were not able to be much of a threat on offense. There was one play I remember in particular where Michael Thomas was given about, like, a, I think it was like a third and seven, and he, he like, a man man-on-man, maybe like a safety bracketed deep, and he beat his guy right off the line. And it seemed like he should have just kept running with a perfect sort of cover two underneath down the sideline, you know, bullet pass. And then Drew Brees like kind of threw a back shoulder fade like for 10 yards on a third and seven, and Michael Thomas had to make this crazy adjustment, ended up not making the play. The whole thing just seemed very, very strange. Whereas in any other year, any other quarterback, they would have stretched the ball downfield more, thrown some rifle pass. It would have been a very, very easy completion to Michael Thomas, who then would have had opportunity to even score on the play. It just mm-hmm. seemed, even when they had the matchups that they wanted, even when they had the you know the wins on the routes that they wanted, all of these things that it just it still wasn't there. Like the ability just still wasn't there. And I don't. I'm not trying to hate on Drew Brees too too much, but it seemed like something that was obvious and coming, and ultimately was their downfall. Thousand percent, thousand percent, Pat. Drew Brees on the night only had eight attempts over uh, 10 plus yards downfield. He completed three of those passes. This was just, um, it was just a culmination of aging, of time catching up to him. And like, let's be honest, the guy had 11 broken ribs. What was that, two months ago? Like, for any human to go out there, let alone an old guy at 42, to go out and play an NFL game with 11 broken ribs, I was honestly a little surprised that they brought Drew Brees back into the fold. But you could tell that he was he was he still had that competitive fire in him that he wanted to go out there and finish the season with his guys. And to me, it, it, like he may have shown that competitive fire to Sean Payton and the rest of that brain trust within the building, but I didn't see it, Pat, and I haven't seen it since he came back from that rib injury. He just he doesn't have that same light in his eyes. You know, he's the the comparisons to him and Baker Mayfield are for stature and for play style, but also for fiery, for 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 capability of boosting up your teammates on the sidelines. I never saw any of that yesterday. It was it was it was a definite sad way to end, and it's unfortunately how a lot of professional athlete uh, stories get get wrapped up is this way. But if this is it, if this is the end, wrapping things up here for the Saints, unbelievable career for Drew Brees. Brought that city a title, has done just countless, countless great endeavors with charitable work. You can't put, you're, there's not many words you can put after Drew Brees before you get to the city of New Orleans. He means that much to that town. And it's it's really cool. And it's really becoming rarer and rarer, Pat, that in today's sports world with guys changing teams left and right. We got Deshaun Watson all up in arms trying to get out of Houston and for, for, for right reasons. But when a guy can stay in one location for this long and retire with, uh, with one city uh, as his true kind of namesake, uh, valuable key signature type of place to play. It's really cool to see. And it, it was a great career for Drew Brees. And, and Drew Brees isn't the first, and he's certainly not going to be the last quarterback. No. To Dan play Marino lost what, like by sixty in his last game? It happens. Ben Roethlisberger looked how awful and how many games? Over oh, the last Ben's few coming years back, like, Pat. I don't know if you sell the news, out. but he's coming back. I saw the news. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm the next fan who has to watch right the franchise quarterback just disintegrate in thin air in front of our eyes. I mean, it, it's happened before; it will happen again, and. It, it, 
it sucks. Like it sucks for the Saints who had a great roster that ultimately and it like it sucks that their legendary all time favorite, you know, favorite athlete, favorite football player ever in their city is the one that ultimately is like the one to blame for sort of spoiling a great roster at the end. But with all that being said, right, like this is what we're kind of, you know, pooping on these franchises for being so loyal to whether it be coaches or players and letting Drew Brees basically play out his twilight years for as long as he well, physically Hold on, Pat. Still. Hold on, hold on. The Drew Brees, like, ruining – I do not buy that at all. What were the Saints going to do? Were they going to draft a quarterback and just plug him in back in 2017, 2018? Like, what were they going to do? Like, seriously, what, what is the option for the Saints to keep this much talent, this current talented roster together? How are they going to get any other quarterback better than Drew Brees? I mean, I think Jameis Winston is better than Drew Brees. I, I don't know about that. Like, like, you think Jameis Winston's going to go out there and still only throw six interceptions this year? Like, I don't know about that. Like, to, I, I, I think it's very, very Monday morning hyperbole quarterback to go back and say, the New Orleans Saints were were wasted their talent because they had Drew Brees as the quarterback. I, I don't want to say I don't know necessarily that's exactly what I mean, but maybe specifically this year, you know, this year, Super Bowl yes. roster okay, and I not a Super that. Bowl quarterback, and that's just how you have to let it be, and that's exactly what I'm going to be experiencing as a Steelers fan, right? So like a Super Bowl roster without a Super Bowl quarterback, and that's just the the, the nature of the beast. As Jameis Winston I, moves from New Orleans to Pittsburgh. To, <laughs> hey, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. There's a few other options I'd like to explore first, but that is certainly not the last option, um, which is the current option that I want. But, I mean, but with that being said, you know, this loyalty and this whole idea, whether it's the Steelers with Ben, whether it's the Saints with Drew Brees or whoever it is, and let's look. At, let's go to the other side of the field, and just how cold and calculated and competitive. You know, this is just what winners do. Is what Tom Brady does, right? Goes to the Bucks, leaves the Pats, takes his team. He he gets AB off the streets, tells him to move in, and then as soon as AB drops a ball in the first half, he you know he's like Scotty Miller, get in here, right? Like Scotty Miller is going to get the big plays from now on. So Bowling Green's finest, Scotty Miller. The Bowling Green's finest, and it's just uh, you know the difference between Tom and Drew, and I guess. Tom and the rest of the world and the rest of the league, just how calculated he can be, how just committed to winning he is, right? One side was committed to, you know, doing right by their people, by all of this, that, and the next. Well, when Bill thought his time with Tom was done, he left. When Tom thought his time was done with Bill, he left. And look where look where Tom still is, going to another NFC championship. And uh, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, there's a reason he's the greatest of all time. And I, I think it's just... When you match up these two at this point in their career and how drastically different the two have gone over the last years, it's just beyond fascinating and it's amazing. And I guess this is why I was so high in the Bucks all years. It felt like something like this was coming. Ultimately, a game like this, I want Tom Brady. It doesn't matter where it's being played. doesn't matter what's going on, what the situation is, how many, you know, if there's a global pandemic or not. Tom Brady in these situations is just unflappable. He's just incredible. He's amazing. So it's just more testament to how incredible the run that Tom has gone on when you see what happens to guys like Drew Brees, who arguably, you know, the second, third best of a generation right behind him and, and Manning, just like for such a drastic drop off still with someone like, you know, it, between greatness, Tom is just on a different planet. Just, just, just checking the box, Pat clocking in clocking out each week 199 yards two touchdowns you know he wasn't amazing in this game 92.9 solid quarterback rating had a 75 qbr solid he wasn't tom terrific 
but he did just enough, and he brought that veteran experience, Pat. The most valuable thing, one of the most valuable things you can have as a professional is experience. It's the biggest thing we all look at on job applications, uh, job resumes, is what kind of experience do you bring to the table? And when we're talking about postseason experience, there's no better man than Tom Brady, who will now be playing in his 14th career conference championship game. The man has won more conference championships than any other human has played in at the quarterback position as he searches for his uh, his 10th conference title in his career, trying to punch the ticket to the Super Bowl for a double-digit times. So it's just insane. Like it just, but I, on your I point, can't Russ, even can't even comprehend it, Pat. It's it's a trickle-down effect, right? Just having someone like Tom That's the exact the team, road I was going to, Pat. It, exact road it's, it's I was the, going to. Yeah, it makes... It makes everyone believe, and I've said it with coaches. You know, I've been championing these coaches that bring the energy and focus for their team, whether it's Vrabel or Tomlin or McDermott or you know Stefanski. This belief in composure and just, you know, that's what Tom does, and it doesn't matter if he's on his best game or not. Other, you know, it's a LeBron factor too, right? It doesn't matter if he's on his best game. You best believe everybody yeah. around him is going to be on their best game because Tom elevates them with his belief and his ability. You know They don't want to let Tom down. They want to be on their best. They're focused for someone that great. And so it's a trickle-down effect. And you know it, it takes Tom establishing that dominance for, for it to get to this point. But, God, it's just so intimidating. And I think the only quarterback who maybe be able to possess that same sort of you know, just attitude and mantra and pizzazz or whatever it is, just pure swagger is who he's going to have to go through yeah. to get to another Super Bowl. So it's going to be an absolute fantastic matchup in Green Bay next week. I cannot wait for that, Pat. Finally, we finally get Rodgers, Brady, postseason battle, and a like truly dynamic everything on the line postseason battle. This is to go to yeah. the Super Bowl. This is for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be the first team in league history to host a Super Bowl. Everything's on the line here. And to your point, Pat, like the sport of football, sports in general, mirror life so much. And when you can bring a leader in in Tom Brady and infuse his confidence, infuse his everyday way that he attacks the sport of football into this young locker room, uh, Peter King mentioned this in his Football Morning in America column today. Uh, one of his conversations with Bruce Arians back in March was him just being so excited to get not only Tom Brady, the football player, you know, you get the arm, the touchdowns, the fiery guy yelling on the sideline, all that, but the everyday leader that's going to be able to show these young players what it's like to punch the clock and be a championship player in this league. And then he followed that uh, nugget up with uh, a quote he got from Devin White last week who said that Brady, a couple weeks back when they announced the Pro Bowl rosters and Devin White wasn't on it, uh, White said that he was kind of bummed out talking to Brady about it. And uh, Brady looked at him and said, "The only he said, we're all working for the same bowl, Devin, and it doesn't start with pro. And it's just little stuff like, it's just little stuff like that where he just keeps these guys on the straight and narrow. Devin White afterwards said that that really stuck with him and it helped uh, clear his mind a little bit. And what do you know? The first round top five pick from the 2019 draft goes out, has 11 total tackles, one for loss, has an, uh, has an interception on the day. And it was just a tour de force defensive showing from Todd Bowles of forcing Drew Brees to uh, play left-handed and a just total team effort victory in uh, just getting uh, getting the old Buccaneers, St. Schneid off the back of Bruce Arians. He gets his first victory in five tries 
against his division rival, New Orleans Saints football team. That's all the matchups, Pat. Let's get to some MVPs here. I'll go ahead and start with mine. I didn't touch on this play as as in-depth as I'm about to get to right now, but it's got to be Taron Johnson. He is the MVP of the weekend. He made the 14-point swinging play at the end of that Buffalo Bills-Baltimore Ravens game. The cornerback for Buffalo returns the interception of Lamar Jackson, the first red zone interception of the MVP's career, all the way to the house for a 101-yard touchdown. It was the uh, tied for the longest uh, return interception return touchdown in NFL history, just a yard longer than Pat's uh, Steelers' James Harrison Super Bowl return touchdown against the Arizona Cardinals a little more than a decade ago. But when we talk about huge plays, Pat, in the postseason, it doesn't get much bigger than Taron Johnson uh, pick six going all the way back to uh, to the house for uh, for the Buffalo Bills. Sixth highest expected points added swing there it is. in postseason history, according to the Athletics' Mike Sando. And uh, I won't read all of them because it gets kind of it'll get kind of uh, boring. But the number one play, Pat, you'll love this. It's that James Harrison pick six. Twelve and a half Add expected points added for the Pittsburgh Steelers in that uh, in that Super Bowl win. Uh, I'll never forget where I was watching that one, and I will never forget where I was when Taron Johnson had uh, a top ten consequential touchdown return in the postseason. Your MVP, Pat. What do you got? Awesome selection, Russ. And, I, and I, I'm actually going to switch it up on you. Before the show, I said I was going to go with a certain coach, the certain coach of that team, uh, Sean McDermott. But now I'm going to switch it up to a different coach, and uh, the big, lovable Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. He gets my MVP this week. And, uh, you know, we were watching. I was watching the game with some buddies, and they were like, you know, if Patrick Mahomes goes to Miami, or if he goes to the Jets and Adam, and Adam Gase is, is the one who gets to mold a young Patrick Mahomes... I don't, you know, what is, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's probably still a top five fantasy quarterback. He's probably still throwing like 5,000 yards, you know, 40-something touchdowns. He's Deshaun but Watson. He's, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. He's probably, but he's probably not the MVP, Super Bowl champion in his third year, absolutely taking the league by storm, the face of the NFL. And, uh, you know, Andy Reid, not only does he mold and craft and gets to put his paws and really you know, be a major factor in the development of somebody we are going to get to enjoy as fans for such a long time. But even when he loses that golden ticket, that golden arm of Patrick Mahomes, he loses zero resolve. He loses zero faith in his team. He goes out there. He's going forward on fourth down. He's having Chad Henney run to the wind. He's got Chad Henney believing in himself. That Chad Henney's putting his head down on third and 15, running it, you know, breaking tackles, doing what he's doing. Andy Reid definitely is going to get my MVP after talking these games through with you. Um, it's just incredible. The the way that he's able to set up his players for success, it is uh, it is just so, so, so fun to watch. And uh, such a lovable guy, too. The big walrus, Andy Reid, he's my MVP. He has gotten even more confident in his team over the past few years, Pat. Uh, no coincidence there. Ever since Patrick Mahomes joined the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid has ranked in the top third, or excuse me, in the top half of teams and of uh, going for it on fourth down when it is recommended to do so. So go for it rate right around 40% 
ever since Patrick Mahomes stepped into the fold. When you got a great quarterback, you are willing to be a little bit more risky. My MVP, or excuse me, my, I just gave my MVP, duh, Taron Johnson, my GOAT, my fumble of the week is Patrick Mercari. People wondering, who is Patrick Mercari? Yeah, who well, is that? If you are uh, if you were trying to figure out who that guy, the big guy in front of Lamar Jackson, shooting balls all left and right over his head throughout the evening in uh, Buffalo on Saturday, well, that was Patrick Mercari, who was the center for the Baltimore Ravens, had two fumbles credited him on the Knights, one of which ended up getting his uh, MVP quarterback concussed and knocked out of the game, ensuingly put Tyler Huntley in, who proceeded to miss Marquise Brown him. on a wide-open deep like ball. Tyler he did Huntley. look decent besides that throw, though. So I uh, got to give credit where credit's due to Tyler, but should have never been in the game if it weren't for Patrick McCarry's fumbles, literally and figuratively. He was horrible in this game. They, that's another position they have to address in the offseason after uh, he stepped in for Matt Skura following fumble issues previously in this 2020 campaign. Got to be able to hike the ball to your uh, quarterback, Pat. That's the most important part of the game because if you don't do that nothing uh nothing else is going to happen or go well for the offense you are right and uh, I'm sticking with the same team you probably had the better selection but I'm going to go with Greg Norman the offensive coordinator Greg Roman the yep 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 um I mean it's just it was just tough he to abandon the run game so early in that in that game was just uh, unacceptable I think the way that the way that uh, J.K. Dobbins was running the ball up the middle, breaking tackles, he was flowing, and it just it felt like you know they said it weeks ago that their playbook was predictable, that there was not really a lot of change, and I think that's part of the the reason that the wide receivers haven't really got into it, right? They they found the success running the ball off the tight ends, this play action. Well, teams realized how to play for it, and there was no adjustment on the offensive side to break those trends, and there had to have been creative ways to get those wide receivers more open and to take more shots on the outside or just get someone other than Marquise Brown involved. And it just seems like they refuse to try to do it, whether it was the quarterback or the offensive coordinator. I'm going to give the quarterback, I'm going to give him, uh, I'm a player's guy, so we'll <laughs> give him, we'll, we'll put the we'll put the blame on the offensive coordinator for just not putting his team in better situations in that game, really just relying 100% on the athletic playmaking ability of Lamar Jackson, which can only get you so far in the NFL. And so I'm going to give it to Greg Roman, who we've talked about it, the Steelers, they made a, they, uh, making a change of their offense coordinator because of the lack of adjustments that are being made. And plenty of other teams are looking at the, in the same way. And Greg Rum is going to be one of those guys. He's going to have to look in the mirror and figure out how he's going to change going forward. Quick, uh, quick run with the 49ers with Colin Kaepernick, Pat, that flamed out very quickly. It's uh, it's starting to get those same signs here with the Greg Roman offense and uh, his happenings with, with Lamar Jackson here. There's just not a lot of, not a lot of ingenuity, not a lot of complex schemes, not a lot of complex route running from this uh, receiving core. They need to up the talent level there. They need to up the complexity of the offense. And that's something that I think they will be able to do this offseason because like, we're trying to act like life's all normal, well and good, but it has been a COVID year in the NFL. They haven't really been able to practice normally at all. And so I think with a hopefully more normal, true offseason schedule, they'll be able to install install more uh, passing concepts and be able to beef up that portion of the game after most likely One more. focusing on the uh, rushing attack. Yeah, what do you got? 
one more point on Greg Roman there. But uh, like you said, he sort of flamed out with Kaepernick soon, and maybe he's not the answer that completely unlocks Lamar, but I think maybe he was the perfect answer to, you know, maybe unlock the beginning of yeah, Lamar. Put the skeleton in there. Exactly. But I think ultimately they're probably going to need another OC to unlock that throwing potential of Lamar and unlock the receivers and unlock his ability on the outside to where then you can really unlock all of it because then Lamar's playmaking takes over and it's just a nightmare for everybody. So, I mean, credit to Greg Roman. He obviously developed Lamar in a very impressive way, but there does seem to be a ceiling to what this offense is doing. The old guy bowl versus the young guy bowl next weekend in the NFC and the AFC. Pat and I will be back on Thursday to break down both matchups. Also dive into a jam-packed NFL news and notes section. We have so many coaching hires to get to and so many other uh, burgeoning situations happening around the league. And uh, we'll probably be touching on the debut and first couple iterations of the Brooklyn Nets led by James Harden and Kevin Durant, hopefully getting Kyrie Irving back in the next couple days and the rest of the NBA season teetering a little bit here with games getting canceled left and right. But everybody have a great rest of your week. Patrick Fetch and I will be back with the weekend preview shortly. For Mr. Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.